G'day everyone, Tractor here. We had to remotely record this one using Zoom, so the standards of the audio aren't normal. There's a little bit of echo, so sorry about that. Hope you still enjoy the show. G'day everyone, it's Tractor here. Welcome to the Gel Ball Podcast. We talk Milsim, we talk three gun, we talk throwing sticks at each other if we have to, but we talk about anything on here. And today I have a guest. Hello, guest. Hello, Travis. How are you doing? Good. So who do we have here? You've got Martin from Tactical Sports International. Awesome. Let's talk about Gel Ball. Let's do it. So, welcome to the show for the first time, Marty. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, um, as I ask everyone, how did you get into gel ball? Oh, um, through ignorance of not knowing much about airsoft. <laughs> <laughs> um, and honestly, it was through friends of mine at my local pistol club um, mm-hmm. telling me all about every weekend, telling me about their new new sport they've been playing at Newtown on the Gold Coast. And um this was November 2017, so it wasn't quite legal yet. But um, yeah, once March 2018 came around, I got fairly heavily into it. So <laughs> since then, I've been pretty obsessed. What would you say your first blaster was? Do you remember what it was? Of course I remember what it was. It was a grey and blue G36. <laughs> oh, with the mechanical fed magazines, I'll bet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was secondhand. I got it from the same friend of mine that was promoting gel ball all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd evolved to an AK, which was um, terrible. Um, so I got the G36 off him, and then I went to Brent from Chainsaw and got all his pump kit and all his upgrades, and it served me quite well for probably about three months until I went <laughs> and upgraded everything else and bought stuff. <laughs> I, I had the, the clear version of that. For yes. over 12 months, I would have had 10 of them as rentals. And they were surprising that they lasted as long as they did. Absolutely. I think it was because we were on mostly 7 volt back then. Mm. It just didn't kill stuff like 11 can do these days. Well, we're, we're certainly starting to push the boundaries of, of what gel balls can do ballistically, that's for sure. Yeah, most definitely. Couldn't agree more. And some of the advances is pretty amazing. Um mm almost pushing the boundaries of, you know, short range kind of airsoft game, but um, obviously not quite the long game for airsoft yet. Yeah. Um, You've got a firearms background as well. Do you want to talk about that at all? Is that because that's what led you to job ball, I assume? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, So my gun kind of sort of thing started when I was a kid. I grew up in the UK and I had a little air pistol and I had air rifles in England, which were completely normal back then in the mid nineties. Like the steel and, um, bearing air guns or like pellet 177s or? Uh, yeah, 177 pellet pistols. So I had CO2 powered, so very similar to our CO2 uh, gel ball pistols now. Um, and I had, you know, your normal break action or little pump action air rifles. Yep. Um, I left the UK uh, in 2000 to come here. I was born here, so I came back to, to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um 
and then to be honest didn't i couldn't bring the air rifles with me it was very too hard to do that oh yeah and i didn't shoot another gun or really have that much interest in going out and shooting guns until uh i was on a lunch break at work in southport on the gold coast and i was just i needed something to do i was sick of work that day so i went down to the gold coast um indoor pistol club in southport spent some money and shot some guns and joined the other gun club the gold coast pistol club the next day nice. um that was in 2011 i think it was so i'm 10 years in now and for the first five or six years i shot ipsc which is the practical pistol shooting competition once if not twice if not three or four times a week for several years got very good um shot a couple of state titles but never went to nationals yep. um and that basically led us to around about 2018 where uh gel ball kind of took over <laughs> <laughs> well it slowed down a little bit prior to that yep. um i was managing a gun shop in burley called guns and ammo or gna tactical yep. and when you're working with guns all day every day you don't play your hobby quite as much yep. it's the same for everyone generally yep. um and yeah that took us basically to getting to meet all the guys at nuketown and my real guns don't come out the safe that much and my toy guns come off the pegboard a lot more often yep did you so your background in mechanical work is that yes. sort of where it where, where your interest in the inside parts of gel blasters came from um to be absolutely honest I'm not very good at the inside of gel blasters. <laughs> I don't have the patience for the mechanics. Yeah. Um, whilst I play with big cars and toy cars, like I like my RC cars and mm. stuff as well, I don't have the patience for the the closing a gearbox up on a gel blaster, test it, it not be quite right, open it again, yeah. build it again, put it back together, test it. I just don't have the patience. If I can't do it on my first or maybe second attempt, I'll give it to someone else to do. The, the whole concept <laughs> of shimming to me is voodoo magic. There are some people that can do it, and I am not yeah. a shimmer. Well, the funny thing is, um, we haven't mentioned it yet, but my day job now is I'm at Azrael's Armory, the gel blaster um, store on the Gold Coast, and, mm -hmm. and I can talk the talk. I can Understand. tell everyone how yep. to shim their gearbox, yep. but I don't do it myself. <laughs> I well, leave that to Shannon, our head tech, to do it. <laughs> look, there is a space between knowing what to do and knowing that it's not done in Kruger and you know enough to know not to do it yourself. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned, uh, I learned how to do it and then learned that I'm better off not doing it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> people often ask me, uh, fairly technical questions, and I'll I'll ninety percent of the time to defer to others that are working day to day on it. Like my That's guys, yeah. I'll, I'll go to them and go, "Is this still the way we do things, or has something changed?" <laughs> well, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm much the same, but I, I must say, because I'm at Asriel's, I'm I am you know balls deep, gel balls deep yeah. in uh, in the the tech side of things because Azrael's and Aztec Innovations are driving the tech pretty firm and yep. um, Shaka, who's known as Shaka Clacker, Shannon, yep. he's, I have to say, obviously I'm biased. He builds all my blasters and he works for me, but he's probably the best in the country right now. He just, all he does is night and day is build high level gel blasters. And it's just, um, as you said before, we're bridging the gap to airsoft and, yeah. um, whilst our projectile is still water-based and uh, environmentally friendly mm -hmm. um i think we are pushing the boundaries of airsoft tech as well yeah 
And, and there are some innovations from Airsoft that work for us and some that work against us. Very true. Yes. Yeah. The, the one thing that I find interesting is in gel ball, you know, the average player, even with a stock as a rock gel blaster on seven volt, could go through 10,000 gels in a day. Mm. Um, if they're trigger happy, like most beginner players are, um, in Airsoft, that could be six months worth of shots. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're very, very, very hard on on our gel blasters compared to the average airsofter. And look, if I look at the proliferation of indoor fields here in Australia, if you were firing that amount of BBs in an indoor field at close range... <laughs> It'd be like walking on marbles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the ironic thing is there are indoor fields overseas that are now going to gel balls yes. and doing things like um, full auto inside, which is unheard yep. of in airsoft. And kid-friendly. Yeah. And uh, I, I sent um, maybe a year ago a bunch of Gen 9s to a guy in Texas because he yep. owned an air for, an airsoft field and he wanted gel blasters so the kids could do something while Dad was doing something else. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. And to think that little old Australia is is driving that um, is pretty cool. And then also, yeah, doing some stuff in the the gearboxes, especially the V two M four type gearboxes that work for airsoft as well. And there's eclipsing tech that's been used for airsoft um, for 20 years. And we've only been doing it for three years or four years is, um, is pretty advanced. Mm. It, it's interesting uh, having technical conversations with the people that build them in their own factories in China and Taiwan and stuff. I mm. often am amazed at what they do and don't know about their own products in, in exactly. that exact regard. Well, a lot of them, you've got to think, a lot of them are copying the next guy. You yeah. know, they're only doing A because the other guy said to do it. Um, and, of course, you know, not to poo-poo China, but unfortunately they'll copy anything. Yeah. Um, as soon as they see something that works, you've got a, what, say a three-month window before there's probably a copy out there. Yeah. Um, it, it's, as, it's as rare as exclusivity of a product. Yeah. Which sucks for the entrepreneur that designed it, but it's great for the greater community. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's got to be a plus to it. Yeah. Have, have yeah. you been to China or anywhere else that builds uh, gel blasters pre-COVID? No, not, not fortunately, no. Um, I actually started full-time at Azrael's kind of in COVID because obviously Azrael's Armoury, the actual shop front, only opened June last year. Yeah. Um, so prior to that, when I was uh, working gel blasters, as a year prior when I was running the gun shop in Burley, um, we did have gel blasters, but um, I was only buying in small amounts of spares and bits and pieces, mm -hmm. just direct from various different suppliers. Um, so no, it wasn't to factories and stuff. Yep. Uh, did you um, did G and A still do gel blasters? A very small amount. Um, because they're in Burley, they're not that far down the road from iHobby. Um, they mm. just buy the basic iHobby, kind of not basic, but some of the iHobby stuff. Yeah. Um, but GNA is definitely more of a, a tactical shop. So it's yeah. guns and 511 tactical apparel and boots and gear. Yeah. Um, I was, funnily enough, I haven't been to GNA for some time. And then I've been down there two Saturdays in a row. Um, and Lee, the owner there, um, he was saying they're going to phase them out because. Unfortunately for them, M4A1 did open their big store about three k's up the road, so right. it's completely wiped out their sales. Yeah, it's funny. Burley um, has been almost a forgotten area for a while. Mark from NextGen was in there. He's had two different yeah. retail shops. 
yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then now all of a sudden people are paying attention there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's when you think of it, Burley's actually about the centre of the Gold Coast. Mm. Half an hour north to go to Coomera, half an hour south to go to Coolangatta. Yeah, so. yeah. I I was did a lot with Cadet Shop when they first got into um, mm-hmm. gel blasters yeah. and used to drive from Wakehold down there quite a lot. And yeah. um, you didn't drive another past another gel blaster shop on on the way there, except for the newsagent guy that was um, on the side of the highway there. And I, it always amazed me that no one had had pushed further south on the Gold Coast. I yeah. know it's closer to the New South Wales border and that's got its own problems, but <laughs> there's still a lot of people there. Yeah, most definitely, yes. But obviously that's covered now, especially with Yeah, Israel there's a it. lot of stores down here now. Um, unfortunately, Mark with NextGen, he has closed the retail store and he's just gone back to his online, but yeah, um, there's, I don't know, probably five or six in the Southport, Ashmore, Narang area. Yeah. Do you think we're at saturation in terms of the amount of stores Queensland-wide? Um, I would honestly say I think yes for the um, the fact that a lot of the stores are selling entry-level blasters, mm. which is only really a, you know looking for the beginner player. Mm. Um, and a lot of the stores don't really chase repeat custom. They just yeah. chase that one-off buyer. Um Whereas a couple of stores, you know, a bit more specialists, so they're chasing repeat customs, mm. customers. Um, I think the biggest issue is with any hobby, I guess. It, you know, you get your fads, your, your swings of popularity and not. And right now, gel ball is in a little bit of a low. Yeah. Um, last year, obviously, we had a lot of uh, people with a lot of money because they couldn't travel and go clubbing and drinking and mm. stuff. So they had a lot of toy money. So sales were probably ridiculously high for most retailers last year. And I think a lot of them are probably struggling right now. Um, maybe not in the next few weeks because we've got tax returns coming in. But, yeah. but um, the last six months, uh, I can only imagine most stores have seen a, a drastic drop compared to, say, six uh, this time last year, really. Yeah. Um, I think the hardest part for Gel Ball on the Gold Coast, stupid as it sounds, is Gold Coast City Council makes it near impossible to have an indoor venue down here. Oh, look, look at when you try to... Um First get GNA off the ground as a gun shop. That was an issue there. Um, GNA took four years yeah. for us to open GNA. Um, I was working in a little bit of a midlife crisis at early 30s. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was doing some security work and uh, I was lost in between a couple of good jobs and didn't know what to do. And um, yeah, I was. We were four years in the making before GNA got approval, and it was an absolute nightmare. Mm. Um, even after the fact that Lee had bought the building and renovated it and done everything the council, the council and wanted. the weapons licensing required, it was still eighteen months before <laughs> they could trade. Yeah, yeah, it was unbelievable. Got to love red tape, eh? Yeah, uh, and Lee being Lee, he just persisted, he persisted, he fought, he, he beat everyone, and um, yeah, kudos to him. The business has been there four years now, and um, yeah, he's doing well. So. I think he's there to stay. Yeah. He's definitely there to stay. Yeah, you're not going to beat Mr. Lee. Yeah. <laughs> so there's lots of different flavours of gel ball. Um, I've got a an idea of where you fit in there, where would you self-identify as a gel buller? Are you 
speedy, not speedy, casual, mum and dad player, Mel Simmer, Mel Softer, LARPA, where do you fit yourself in? um, First bracket would be I'm a dad of Joel Ball kids as well. My oldest, Riley, he's 12. He's been playing for three years. Mm -hmm. Um, My second oldest, Eloise, she's only had a couple of games because of COVID. Um, So that's where it started for me. But these days, um, I'm 97.3% Milsimmer and 2.7% indoor evening CQB Thrasher, but not Speedy Boy. Um, So when I say that, a more I like a crossfire um, style venue for a three or four hour evening with my friends. I won't go alone. I've got to be there with my mates. Yeah. Um, but to my roots, I should have been in the military. Mm-hmm. So I really love my Milsim style or Milsoft, of course, if it's um, a shorter or a yep. little bit more easygoing event. Um, we used to go and play at Nuketown every weekend or every fortnight, I should say to the extent where I actually essentially ran it for mm. Brent, uh, Brent of what was Chainsaw, now Asriel's. Um, but still on, I'm still on the committee at Nuketown now, but I don't go that regularly because I want to save myself for events like yours and uh, the big ComSim three-day events. That's all I'm, I really want to do now is, yep. is the bigger stuff. So I would have to say that you've probably spread yourself a, across most Milsim-ish events in southeast Queensland. Um, yep. So which one is the one that's closest to your heart or do you spread yourself evenly and go, they're, they're all as good as each other in their own ways for me? I would definitely agree with the latter. Um, my first event, proper Milsim event, you know, if I'm calling it a proper Milsim event, was um, Toowoomba K5 last year in that I didn't I missed out unfortunately on the the PB1 the Eastern Predators and those they just clashed with something I could never get there um and it's hard when you work in the industry too yeah it's it's it was just one of those things you know the team my teammates couldn't get there or it the, the stars never aligned um so my first proper one I would say was the event that Luke for Rep Advantage did with the the Withcott guys, I think yeah. it was about yeah. November last year. K5. Um, yeah. K5. It was about 38 degrees and people were falling over. Yeah. Um, but it was absolutely brilliant. Um, from there, we went on and did uh, Matt and Alan's Comsims up at Susan River, the three-dayer. Yep. Um, that one, whilst the event went pear-shaped as far as, again, players falling over, um, I think the three-day the, the full camping in field, the, 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 the immersion, if you want to use that term. Yeah, the 24-hour um, operations. Yeah. Uh, whilst we actually slept like babies both nights, um, it was brilliant. I loved it. The three days was me. Yep. But then I've got nothing against um, your PBB2 where we had the opportunity to drop out for a break for a bit and refill your water. And um, to be honest, I just want to be out there and shoot gel balls at yep. people. Simple yeah, I've, I've certainly got high hopes for um, what Matt and uh, Al bring to the table mm. the, the next time they run out, and I haven't heard anything about what it is, so that says to me that they're planning. Um, well, because um, I work I work with those guys on EP, and they don't yeah. rest in terms of planning. That's right. Um, I'm in reasonable communications with, with Matt and Alan, and that um, Iggy, who we'll mention again, no doubt, but he's the other 
you know, main part of tactical sports international, really. Um, he's a 20 year airsofter. He's been playing airsoft for 20 years in England. Yep. Um, he, he's only been in Australia now for just over three years. And he is bringing a lot to ideas for, for anyone really. Um, mm-hmm. Because he's done events that none of us can fathom. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Matt and Alan of Consims are talking with Iggy and myself a fair bit about, you know, mucking in and doing some stuff with them as well, or them doing stuff with us. Yep. But I do agree. They are keeping whatever they're planning very tightly under, under wraps. Yep. Um, so, Matt, if you're listening, <laughs> send me a message and tell me what you're doing because <laughs> I'm, I'm eager beaver. Look, it's ironic, <laughs> Matt sent me a, um, a dinner invite today. We're yes. due to catch up for a steak. That's our thing. So uh, there'll yep. be a steak and a JD, and I'll try and leave whatever I can out of him. And it's been a while since I've had him on the podcast. So Yeah. It, um, it, I think it's about a week since I had a message from him as well saying, when are we going to the pub next? Wow. So <laughs> he obviously likes his pub steaks. <laughs> I'm not afraid to have a beer with you, so we can catch up and talk shit. Yeah, absolutely. So if tell us can... a bit about um, TSI. Um Mm-hmm. Where, where did the idea for TSI, and, and please give people at home a quick idea of what TSI is because not everyone knows. Sure. Okay, so Tactical Sports International did originally start out as a free online digital magazine. Um, so uh, it was a bi-monthly publication that was an online publication through the website called Issue. So it's free, same as something like 6mil Actual, which is Femme Fatale Airsoft's blog and uh, online magazine. But basically, we did bi-monthly, so seven, I think actually eight issues for a year. And we were covering, trying to cover as much as we possibly could, airsoft content from New Zealand. We had Poland, New Caledonia, America, UK, Poland. Gel balling in Queensland, obviously. And then I was also putting as much content as I could forward for my pistol shooting through IPSC and also long range rifle precision, not target shooting, but precision shooting, which is my other side of shooting. Um, Unfortunately, COVID did kind of slow the fact that we couldn't get any content. Um, So England, we had Kelly from Femtale Airsoft. She's one of our contributors from England. She literally locked down for a year. They had no content at all. Um, Our other international content, we've got Carl over in New Zealand and they couldn't do anything. The airsofter that in 2019, that's part of TSI Lucas, also known as C4. He is the one that you very kindly let us repurpose his ticket for P2 because of course he was locked down in Sydney. Lucas is a Brazilian airsofter who... If anyone wants to know someone who is dedicated to the sport, in 2019, he, he played in New Caledonia. He played twice in New Zealand. He played in Poland. He played in Brazil and obviously gel ball in Australia. So for someone living in Sydney, he got more air miles than most people purely for airsoft. Um, yeah. So Tactical Sports is basically now a blog and a website and social media content um in that we have not been able to really pick up where we left off mm. of trying to get as much content as we could yeah um we did have advertisers paying to advertise in those issues we had Azrael's, x-force next gen gbu um several of the local shops paying to advertise and supporting us so thank you so much to those guys but of course as it all started to dry up um 
they obviously didn't want to advertise either. So yeah, we were yeah. averaging nearly a thousand readers per issue, which was far better than we expected. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's these days it's mostly just what we can do when we can do it. Mm. If I could wave a magic wand tomorrow and COVID was no more, what mm. do you think TSI would be in a month's time after that? Um, would it return would to really what it was? To, I really love to say back to our online full uh, PDF issue style, but it would take some ramping up time to do that again. Mm. Um, of course, we would have thousands of shops throwing money at us to advertise because it would be the best publication in the world. We'd be over in America airsofting. We'd be going to the gun show and yep. all that stuff. <laughs> and, of course, we'd be at Tiny Toys PB3. Well, this is true. <laughs> um, so tell me about your your experience at PB2. Obviously, I don't want to talk too much about the other mill sims um, because I, I want to keep that impartial um, sure yeah and and the guys here do like to hear about pb2 and there hasn't mm-hmm. really been too many back briefs from mm. anyone on that so what what was pb2 like for you what were the highlights and the lowlights and and don't be afraid to say there was bad things that you didn't like because i know there's yeah, a couple of things sure. you didn't love um off the bat i think it was probably the best organized event i've been to um the prep the pre-info uh was was, was, was flawless. There was nothing we didn't know, to be honest. As long as you read the briefings and kept your eye on the social medias, it was, it was, it was great. It was exactly what we needed. Um, the pre-game, you know, chronographing and even just down to the, the guys running the car park, again, it, it was flawless. They put us with our team, gave us room for camping. It was great. Absolutely superb. Um, I think the, the property at Arachula was the best chunk of dirt i've played uh jelly beaning on i've not shot as many people jelly gel balling on as good a property as that in such a short time frame um because it was hilly but they weren't too tall a hill there was valleys so you could shoot up hills you could shoot down hills and yeah it, it was a really good block of land so kudos to you guys for finding it um as far as the game goes i would happily have not had the breaks in yep. that yep. um confident comfortable enough to do the whole period um but i understand it i fully agree it's a it's a, a soft event so we need to coax the people into the bigger <laughs> gameplay and that's yeah. exactly what the day was about and to that extent the breaks were perfect um as far as the gameplay goes i'm not a huge lap person so for me the in-game characters Whilst they worked brilliantly, I personally don't need them, but I fully understand that a lot of people do like that role play. So they have to be there. It's as simple as that. It's part of military simulation, Millsoft, live action role play. Um, so a, far, an event like Flashpoint is definitely not on your radar, I would assume. Um, haven't read too much about it, but I do know it's more of the, the LARPy side of thing. Yeah, it's 90% laugh and... Yeah. yeah. So you're probably right. It's probably not right up my alley in that I'd rather be stalking and hunting or being stalked and being hunted um, than waiting for someone to play a character, which, which is fine. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, but again, as far as PB2 goes, I thought it was brilliant. Um, criticisms would be 
if possible, have a few more guys in the admin side of things for on your radios for talk. Yep. Because um, I can't think of his name, complete mental blank that was running your talk. Charter boat. Uh, if, if that was him, yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. He must have been left, right, and center yeah. on the radio. And yep. um, even um, I'll go with the name Pablo. He was in Azriel's yep. the other day and he said, yeah, he was, <laughs> you know, messaging and calling and trying to get through and couldn't get signal to, to know what he could and couldn't do at that yep. particular time. Um, but yeah, I, I must say I um, very much enjoyed it. Very happy to be there. Um, some really good initiatives. I must, I did, I, I think, you know, I mentioned this when we did do our, our yep. video review. I thought the yellow and red card was a very, very, very solid uh, way of controlling the gameplay, if you want mm -hmm. to call it that. Yep. My only thing would be, would be making sure the people that have the power of those cards know how to use the power. Yep. Um, but again, it, it was a brilliant way of having in-game referees, if you want to explain it that way. Yeah, we've had a crack at a couple of different uh, ways of doing that and, and we've got some ideas on how to improve that um, and also to improve our communications. We've looked at things like ITAC and ATAC, um, mm -hmm. but we've got a lighter solution from that that is app-based <clears throat> that we're going to go with for the next event. Mm -hmm. So um, one person in each team will have a Google-compatible uh, Android app that they can drop on their phone Yep. that they can talk to their own side in, be it blue or red, and admin, and no one else can hear it. And it will yeah. also give them the position of the other radio in yep. blue or other radios, depending on how many sections there are. So can you control that, can you, as the admin? Yep. By allocating? Yeah, okay, that's cool. Um, and we can also, my hope with that is that, like one of the biggest downsides for me from PB2 was having to keep sections in visible sight with each other, that really cramps your style as a player. Um, mm. And even from admin, I'm going, oh, this is a nightmare to try and manage. But if I can go, you can see that other brick in your team over there on your app, we've got a way to communicate if there's an emergency. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's the key is it is a game. Mm. There is... Uh, insurances and there's liabilities and there's you've got to have that safety aspect and that's the funny thing where uh, again iggy um my he's normally attached at my hip um he one thing he does struggle to get his head around is the 20 years worth of airsofting it's amazing in the uk they they can jump through windows with smashed glass hanging out of it. They yep. do play airsoft in buildings literally completely dilapidated and about to be knocked down. Mm. Insurances just don't seem to be phased by it. Yeah. Whereas in Australia, your grass has to be cut to a certain length, otherwise you're not allowed to walk on it, you know. Look, my, I, everyone knows I ran a field, <clears> obviously, and the insurance company for the renewal this year has come back and said, we don't want a player under 16 to play yes. on your field anymore. Yep. And that would almost kill my field because just like gel ball uh, events that I run, it's designed to be that entry level kids yep. come and play with mum right. and dad and we grow the sport from there. Um, Absolutely. That's going to make it really hard on the industry. And, you know, obviously if you're going to get that restriction, it's going to apply to you after that. But I mentioned Crossfire and, and Murrayfield earlier yep. on, they were, in, they had that restriction from day dot mm. their insurance policy was new to the point that those restrictions already applied to a new policy and they can't get 
a kid session. Doesn't matter what FPS or mm. um, or whatever, they have to do something completely different to bring in kids. Which, as also as I said before, yeah. I started this game with my kids. Yeah. Um, which would mean my 12-year-old who's been playing for three years can no longer play gel ball. Yep. Which and that, and, sucks. And, and that gives an appreciation of what's happening in South Australia for the guys down there that have just had it swept from under them because a kid can't get a gun licence. That's right. And yep. the guys in WA lost it entirely, um, and that's a whole different thing. Mm. But I, I've got a 20-foot container here of stuff from WA that we got together with some guys over there and said, look, I'll get a container to WI get. You guys we'll fill it, it with you. your stuff. We'll put it here at the field. So all these guys in WI didn't hand it in because there's, there, I don't know how much in dollar value, but it's some significant amount in that container. Of course. Yeah. That I'm hoping that they can sell to Queenslanders now with a little bit more, a little bit less stress on their belt. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of those guys in WA. It shows how, you know torn they are is they're willing if the borders are allowed it to fly over it's yep. a five-hour flight to come and play yep. um come and play gel ball and, and that's exactly the same as lucas from sydney yep. um he flies up for here for a week for one day's gel balling or three yep. days or whatever the event is um he's now been blocked three times for an event he's supposed to be coming up to <laughs> yeah i've got one guy in the blue mountains a guy in wollongong various other people um Obviously, I can't name them, but there's a guy that bought a gun safe and leaves all of his gel blasters in that here at Milsim East yeah. so that he can fly up, play a game, and fly home again or spend yeah. the weekend here, fly up on the Friday over and fly back Absolutely. on Sunday. Well, we do the same to go to New Zealand for airsoft, but I have to yeah. admit it's only once a year. <laughs> well, I'd like it to do more, but right now, yeah. Um, when did you get onto the Oz1 thing? Uh, my first year was 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, so unfortunately, last year was obviously crushed. Mm. Um, I was desperately hoping to be going this October. But whilst there's still the risk of quarantine being implied or anything like that, I can't risk a uh, a one week event turning into three weeks. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't work for you know my the day job or for the family. So unfortunately, while some of the boys are pretty much, you know, ready to book a ticket and fly for, I think it's 19th of October. We have decided that we just can't risk it. We'll just have to wait till next year. Mm. Oz1 would yeah. be, what, nearly 10 years old now? Uh, for the actual Oz1 boys, I think this is their, well, what should have been their seventh event, seventh yep. year. Prior to that, um, it was being run by a couple of other guys. Mm. Um, but I do believe the Oz one boys were planning on stepping down after 2020. It was yep. the finale of conquest. Yep. And then some other guys were going to take over so that the Oz one boys could play the game and yeah. get back to where they started. Um, so of course they then extended that for this year. And I don't know maybe whether they're going to extend their finale for conquest till next year, if it doesn't happen, but, um, yeah, Oz one, uh, I think there's three or four guys, I'd say, probably that are the main organisers of it, with a lot of help from the guys in New Zealand as well, the locals that do all the groundwork for them prior to coming. Yeah, and that, that that's a massive logistical task to get everything a player needs on the ground mm. ready to go. Um, the good thing is, is it's very heavily supported by the field and Airsoft Unlimited, or Unlimited Airsoft, I should say, because they do all the higher guns for people. So like yeah. myself, when I went over there for the first time, they barely charge you anything to hire the stuff for a week. 
Yeah. Um, and our game entry fees for five days of games was 190 Aussie. Wow. Including a including a a higher blaster was like 250. So for six or seventy dollars, we had a eight hundred dollar ICS M4, yeah. which is an eight hundred dollar gun. Yeah, um, absolutely phenomenal. Headshot accurate at sixty meters for fifty bucks for the week. It's just crazy. Yeah, we can only wish. We can only wish. Yeah. Yes. Um, so for those at home that are going, okay, I'd like to try airsoft. Is New Zealand the best option for them? Do you think? I think so. Yeah, uh, ignoring COVID, of course. Mm. Um, for he- from here, I would say New Zealand is the easiest for the simple fact there's no language barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, it's super easy from Australia anyway. And Christchurch has got outstanding venues. Some of them are paintball, so they cross over, but they've got indoor venues. The arena is uh, the outdoor venue, which is a, like a container village. Absolutely outstanding. The new shop I haven't been to because it's brand new. The older shop was small, but great. The new shop's apparently phenomenal. But yeah, Christchurch, brilliant. Wellington is a growing scene. It's not as big as Christchurch. But then from there, Japan would probably be very good. You, you wouldn't you go to the Pacific it. Islands? Oh, yes, definitely. People go over to New Caledonia and everything mm. as well. Yeah. Um, and that's where I played my first airsoft game was New was Caledonia. It? Yeah. yeah. As I said, Lucas C4, he went to New Caledonia in 2019. I think he was there for a week. I don't know how he came across organizing that one, but he did. Um, and then the Oz One boys, they went to Thailand in the end of 2019 as well for a week with the idea of organizing an Oz One event in Thailand mm-hmm. um, for 2020. But of course, COVID happened. So, Is uh, MSADO or Milsim West something that you'd like to do? Yes. that was a terrible interview technique from me wasn't it (laughs) (laughs) it's a yeah an open shut book on that one yeah most definitely um some of those huge events um regardless of what country it's in Mm. yeah most definitely um yeah there was even i think it's off greece or cyprus as an island that they no longer run the event and i don't believe but that's the one that was um, a sub base or something Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, basically, the islands only used these days for airsoft, but unfortunately, I think that's now that's now shut down. Um, I, I think it I... might have been. I think Novorich did a video there fairly recently for the final event there or something. Yeah, I have vague memories of that. Mm. And some of the footage of some of the big events in Russia, where they they're dropping in from helicopters and mm. proper tank usage and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we're, it's absolutely huge. We're a long way from that, I'm afraid. <laughs> Yeah, we are. We We're are. Close, but then but again, not, we've only yeah. been doing it for three years. Yeah. They've been doing it for 20. So where will we be in 17 years? Oh, God knows. Probably still slinging jelly beans. Dude, in, in the early 90s here in Queensland, I remember buying what we called Airsoft back then, but they, they were yeah. Springers. They Springer um, BB guns, yeah. yeah. And from the Gold Coast armory, Collector's Armoury there and going nuts and shooting people and stuff. Um, yep, yep. I just yeah, my my first use of a Springer was a similar thing. It was at my house in England, down in the basement. Funnily enough, when I came here on holiday in 1997, you've probably seen them. You get them in the touristy shops. There's a little electric ball with a weasel thing attached to it, and it rolled around the floor, and the weasel was pushing this ball around. <laughs> so for hours, we used to shoot this weasel ball with a Springer airsoft pistol in my ba- in my bedroom. That's yeah. all we we used to shoot this moving target. It was great. Oh, whatever, whatever <laughs> bakes your noodle, I suppose. Well, I was like 13 years old, so why not? 
Um, I want to segue back to something that I didn't sort of catch on before. Mm. The breaks at PB2, did they allow you to talk to some of the newer players about the other events? Did you get the chance to say to them, hey, have a crack at, at the next K5, have a crack at Tempest, or give them some advice on gel balling in general? To be brutally honest, no, I didn't. Yep. Um, because I just went back to Makar and Talk we were just in our, in our group. Yeah. Um, I do know that uh, – I won't put the names out there, but I yep. do know that a couple of our boys did. Good. Um, go and mooch around and get some details and people's names and make sure that they're in the mix. But um, personally, no, I didn't. Yeah. Do you think that's something that I should try to get a few more people to do at future events? Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, for PB2, you had the mentor role, yep. but may, maybe also have some a promotions team kind of thing that are players that could do it. A networking yeah. team, yeah. The, the one thing I guess we'll comment with there is is it's a confidence thing for the individual walking up to a random. Mm. Um, you know, whilst I'm talking to you now on a podcast and I'm a face of a couple of different businesses and things like that, yep. I'm not the kind of person that goes up and talks to a random, um, yep. whether it be a hot chick at a bar in a nightclub <laughs> or, or a, a smelly dude that's been running around a field all day. Yep. I don't <laughs> I don't really put myself out there, but I do know plenty of people do, um, and I'm more than confident to do it. I just generally don't do it myself. Did you get the celebrity feels at PB2 with people coming <laughs> up to you going, oh, it's Oh, this freaking celebrity term. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. Um no, not really. I wouldn't say that. A couple of guys came up to us asking stuff regarding Azrael's kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, whether that's because they recognize me or because someone pointed them towards me or not. But um, no, I, I wouldn't say that at all. Um, okay. If I did have people as stupid as it sounds, fanboying or something like that, <laughs> I'd curl up in my shell and pee myself quicker than you know you could imagine. I yeah. wouldn't be co- comfortable in that scenario. Um, just working on the dates you talked about England, you were there when Yukara happened, I assume. No, I left England in 2000. Okay. Um, I think Yukara was about 2007 or something. Okay. From just from what Iggy's explained. Yeah. Are you film familiar with how that all works? Yeah. Or, or reasonably. Do I, or do I yeah. save that for Iggy's podcast that I've just stabbed him for? <laughs> um, Oh, I'm reasonably familiar with it, but you're much better off talking to the crazy Welshman because he'll talk you through it fully. Yeah. No, it, it'd be interesting for a lot of people to understand how the UK regulates airsoft mm. um, because it, it's an interesting compromise model. Um, and, and I think it has some merits for an Australian approach, possibly. Definitely, I, yeah. I don't know that the politicians would love it, but um, I, I think we could even go... Like, what do you think about us going to a paintball-style model where we treat the good blasters, the airsoft stuff, as a firearm? You've got to be a member of a blah, blah, blah. Do you think that's a way to get airsoft um, in the future of Australia? I personally, regardless of airsoft, even gel ball, I would love to say any owner of a gel blaster should be a member of a venue, of a club, or of a committee, or of a community of some form. Mm-hmm. For the simple fact, and this is coming from someone working in a gel ball shop that's run a gun shop, I would love to have the legal right to say no to someone that I don't want to sell a replica firearm to. Yeah. 
because if that guy that comes in and without typecasting or anything mm. like that, yeah. he's got no teeth, he's covered in tats, he's got a wallet full of $50 notes, mm. I don't feel comfortable selling him something that he could do something stupid with. Yeah. But I can't legally say no. Yeah. Well, you, well, you don't have the legal framework to say, sorry, the Correct. cops won't let me do that. But if I could say to him, can I just see a membership to the 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 local club or the range or the venue you shoot at or your membership and if they say i don't have them say, well, man, i'm really sorry i can't sell it to you um so in that sense yes i wouldn't mind um i would more than happily pay an annual membership or a monthly membership to something if it supports a greater community mm-hmm. um and i think probably 99 percent of the enthusiast player would happily pay a, a fee yeah. not a stupid fee that's just lining someone's pockets but a smallish a, a fee enough to support something. Um, I certainly wouldn't say no to that. As far as a license goes, I wouldn't want to call it a firearm license Mm -hmm. um, because that allows weapons licensing to regulate (laughs) if that without saying too much. And obviously I'm very heavy on my gun laws and stuff because of uh, I'm a qualified firearms instructor as well. So I've got to know all that kind of stuff for safety courses. Yeah. Um, but calling it a firearm does definitely immediately bracket it to something where they could just ban them overnight. Mm. Um, but regulating it as far as the sport goes, yeah, I think so. Put it this way, you can't go and play touch rugby at your local rugby club without being a membership to the rugby association. Mm. You can't go and play, or play, <laughs> do karate at a karate club without paying their insurance premium. Mm-hmm because you have to be protected. So why can't we have a, why, why don't we have a membership to something? Yes, we pay for an event. We pay for the ability to come out to PB2 and play, yep. but we're paying the landowner. We're paying wherever the money goes to for all the costs involved in running events. Hell, we all know that anyone running an event probably isn't making a profit. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I wouldn't have anything against it. Yep. Was that the question? I don't yeah. even know what you asked yeah. me. Yeah, Something was, about Yukara. That that was close enough. That yeah. that uh, you certainly didn't go off onto the twig on the leaf on the insect on the end of the leaf <laughs> from the trunk of the tree. That's for sure. Um, the one thing I do think that the UK and America and probably every country that has airsoft does is not only regulate uh, feet per second of the power of the gel, is but also the rate of fire. I, uh, well, through jewels, but yeah. through rate of fire, through FPS, whatever, I do think we should have a regulation. Um, I've got blasters that shoot at 38 RPS if I want to run them on full auto, mm-hmm. but they're designed for semi-auto. But if I get shot in the back for a half a second burst and that's 25 gels at, you know, say one and a half meters range in CQB, it hurts. Yep. It's not necessary. That guy could have shot me once or twice. Yeah. So in that sense... Um, I'm not a HPA fan because it has allowed people with very itchy trigger fingers to shoot at a ridiculously high rate of fire, Mm. um, be it generally pretty inaccurate. Um, I would like to see a rate of fire limit to match an FPS limit for indoor. I had an interesting discussion with um, Morkai about that, probably between EP1 and EP1.5, because... 
uh, like we'd first met each other in the laser days where you could go, okay, mm. this is a machine gun. It can fire X rounds per second and it does X damage. Yeah. And the computer at the other end understands that. Um, and we were talking about how do we get a machine gun into a gel blaster section that can be used like a machine gun in the real world that's got sustained fire and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and that's where we came up with uh, no drum mags and, and all that stuff. And we talked about, well, should we look at uh, rounds per second as well and go, okay, if you've got a PDW, like a P90 or whatever it might yeah. be at the time, sure, yeah. it can have a high rounds per second, but it's got to have the lower end of the FPS. Yeah. Um, but we, we couldn't get any traction in the community on, okay, your blaster needs to be this. People just wanted to bring whatever they wanted. Yeah. Well, I I agree with both sides of the coin, mm. to be honest. Um, it depends on the event, maybe. Um, and yeah. I know Alan, part of Comsins, is yeah. a real stickler for that detail. And um, it, that's that's really his thing. But I do completely agree that if you, you limit what people can do or can bring or look like in their costume, if you want to call it that, yeah. it will limit the player. And obviously mm. we don't want to limit how many players you get because the events need all the players that they can get because we want to grow the community and we don't want to reduce the player base by limiting what people can get, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I completely agree with the theory. You know, if it's an M4, it should only run at X rate of fire. If it's an MP5, it could run quicker. If it's a P90, it can run quicker again. Mm. Um, if it's a DMR, it might be, you know, one a second or something. <laughs> well, maybe we should have this discussion in uh, a TSI article. Certainly could do. Yeah, yeah. we can do that. So um, I'll just reach out to the community. If you think you'd like to read about that in TSI, we'll have uh, Marty's contact details in the show notes. Go down there, click the link, and um, <laughs> let him know what you think. Cool. Th- that's your inbox that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's your biggest hope for Gel Ball in the next 12 months? Ooh. Um, let me think. 100-meter uh, A4 size <laughs> accuracy. Uh, <laughs> I remember um, a certain person at Israel talking about never getting to 50 meters, so... Yeah, well, two years ago, mm. I do, yeah, Brent did put out the 50-meter challenge. Um, and I was the one that filmed it and adjudicated it. Yep. And no one got beyond 47 meters. Mm-hmm. Um, consistently, the requirement was you couldn't point <laughs> the blaster up in the air. Yep. And it couldn't just be one gel out of a whole mag past yep. me. It had to be, I had to be hit with reasonable consistency yep. or very close to. Um, but that's very different now. Mm. So two years ago, we were doing 47 meters. I do have a couple of blasters that can hit a tree at 55, 60 meters with reasonable consistency. Um, The biggest improvement there isn't really the blaster, I would say. It's the technology of the gel, the hop up and understanding the volume of the cylinder and the barrel. Yeah, that's um, voodoo magic. A lot of people don't seem to. Mm. um, And it makes all the difference. It turns chalk into cheese. When, because um, obviously you would have seen our fells at um, PB2, yes. people are going, that's over 600 millimetres. You will never get an accurate gel out of that. And then somebody sprokes them from 50 metres and they go, where'd that come yeah. from? Yeah, that's right. Um, so sometimes yeah. the, like all the science says that shouldn't work because they're a ported cylinder. They're, they're yeah. not a full cylinder. Yep. Yeah. Um, but sometimes that ratio has got more to do with 
air seals and a few other things as well so oh definitely and the funny thing is is almost inducing a small air leak can improve things as well because mm. it can it changes the pattern of the air behind the gel you know yeah. a little the little fluffy cloud of air that that gel is being pushed on yeah with um, a vorticity or a yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's where I'm not a fan and I don't want to ruffle feathers and upset people. So if mm-hmm. you're HBA fanboy, t- turn your mic off or turn your ears off for a minute. <laughs> but I have never seen, and prove me wrong, send me videos. I've never seen an accurate HBA beyond, say, 30 meters um, in that I just haven't seen the consistency that the guys are getting out of the AEG now. Anecdotally, I would say that it's very rare for me to have two people at a casual game day that have got a HPA out of yes. 60 or 70 people. Yeah. Um, I think it, it's mostly an indoor thing, isn't it? It's a, I'd look, some people do use it outdoor, but it, uh, maybe range is that limitation that um, at a hundred meters and you're coming at each other. So you're never going to be more than 20 or 30 meters apart. Maybe it's the best solution for a speed soft speed QB. Yeah. So on yeah. and so forth. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I'm not too sure. The technology what makes a hba more or less accurate whether it's just that balance of whatever they're balancing but i do know shannon again from asriel's with brent's designs of hop-ups all that kind of stuff you know people people will not believe me they'll say whatever he's talking bullshit right now but um at nuketown i've used laser rangefinders to 55 meters and i'm hitting the tree beyond that fence Mm. um with three of my blasters and um you know at pb2 a few weeks back i was able to hit some guys who couldn't were shouting at me telling me they were hitting me Mm. and then one of their teammates would walk up and to them and say dude you're 20 meters short of him (laughs) and i'd hit them yeah so in that sense i kind of apologize because if mine's outranging yours it makes the gameplay a little unfair Mm. um but if you're firing from um, a raised position geographically Gravity. to them yes you're always going to overshoot them of course yeah and, and they don't say take the high ground in the military for no reason it's ballistics is ballistics it doesn't matter if it's a job ball or not yep that's absolutely right um the funny thing is again if you speak to the crazy welshman iggy on one of the one of the podcasts in the future make sure you ask him about where his his uh, call sign stealth came from mm-hmm. um because more often than not, if Iggy's got the cover, as in if he can walk and get close to you, yep. he will come up to you and obviously completely live action role playing. Yep. He'll stab you with his kukri or his cold steel rubber plastic knife instead of shoot you. Is that why Preacher carries one? Because he wants to do the same. Preacher has his kukri because Iggy bought myself one. He bought <laughs> Lucas and Sydney one and he bought, we all bought Preacher one. Yeah. Um, on our team, the Secret Squirrels Milsim team, um, myself, Iggy, Preacher, and Lucas, we seem to be a, a awesome. We kind of sit together when we can. Yep. And um, the head of the team puts us off on recon more often than not because we we bounce off each other really well and we want to play together. And I'm a Mils- I'm a sorry, a sweet secret squirreler. So is Lucas and Iggy because Phil introduced us. Um, so yeah our recon team recon tsi all have kukris now on our mills and stuff it's a bitch of a thing to package and carry around because <laughs> yeah. it's a foot and a half long yeah <laughs> but it makes for some good knife fights oh, if you <laughs> want to feel like a gurkha i, I believe yeah. there was a, a filmed um melee battle at pb2 there was 
it was an interesting continuation. The story actually goes back to Oz 1, 2019, mm-hmm. where Preacher took on Lucas, C4, in a knife fight. Mm-hmm. Um, just in between, I think it was actually on the Friday afternoon. Okay, I don't remember. But anyway, it was just a silly knife fight that we filmed. And then next time they got together, because again, Lucas and Sydney, he doesn't come up all the time. They had another round at it. And then at uh, K5, I think was the second one. And then also at Comsims. But of course, Lucas wasn't there for PB2. So basically, Preacher started taking on anyone that would wield a (laughs) knife. Um, Preacher is a bit of a hat with a a blade. And I've never seen him actually lose one yet. So if anyone's good with a, a rubber knife, obviously... Uh, watch out for Preacher's leading hand because it will distract you into getting struck by his knife hand. So the question is, Millsy McKenzie was a squirrel. Has he uh, taken on Preacher? Because he's been uh, known to do the old rubber knife fight quite a bit as a referee. Millsy's still part of the team, I do believe. We just haven't seen him uh, since K5, as far as I'm aware. He might have been to a couple of events that I've not been at. The smaller Donny. Brooks or Milsim Easter, things like that. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't believe Milsey has taken on Preacher as of yet. Yeah. Uh, side anecdote, Milsey used to ref here. So he refed regularly for about six months at one time mm. every weekend yep. here. Yeah, he's been refereeing at Area 57, I think oh, it is, on the Sunshine yep. Coast. Yeah. 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 It's hard when you work in the industry, isn't it? Yeah, well... Unfortunately, it's yeah, I'm in that same boat. We don't play anywhere near as we used to. It's it'd be a combination of we don't have Nuketown like we used to. Obviously, no. Nuketown does run weekly now, yeah, uh, whereas it used to be fortnightly when we ran it. But the whole, the whole Gold Coast scene is very different. And when mm. Nuketown being more the Nuketown I'm referring to, as opposed to it's a Nuketown pre COVID, yeah, as opposed to COVID, uh, Nuketown now. Nicktown was full of, we had the Diamond Dogs, which are all great friends of ours, all Gold Coast boys. And there was several other teams, squads, whatever mm. you want to call them. Um, Shadow Company and all the guy, a lot of the guys now at Tack Edge. Yeah. We were there every two weeks together. And if there was someone new that came, they were absorbed into the groups. And it mm. was a, just a big social hangout. Yeah. And um Times changed and we don't get that social hangout anymore. And a lot of people have moved on, mm. or nearly all of the people work in gel ball now. Mm. So they don't get to play as much <laughs> as we used to. Exactly as you said, everyone is consumed by the day job now. Yeah. Um, so I, as we said at the start, I kind of just reserve my, my gameplay mostly for big events or the odd evening here or there when as many of our team can get together to do it. I One of my favourite moments at PB2, we were near where the satellite dish got set up mm-hmm. um, and there was a bit of a lull in the battle and not much was going on and the black shirts were there um, and one of the guys had his painted fell there that was spare and I said, can I have a go at it? He's like, what do you mean? I said, I'm, I'm going to have a crack. I've got a black shirt on. Find a ref, let everyone know around me that, I'm cracking on and and we had a crack at a blue team and they're just like, what the, what the tractor? He's got a gun. What? Um, yeah. So yeah, that was I a, made the rules. I'm going to play. <laughs> I wish. 
um, yeah, so it was just interesting to see um, the black shirts rally around me because um, even though I haven't done their training, the guys that are training them are guys I train. So yeah, um, it was interesting to see that they could just follow the same words of command and do the same things, and and apparently it terrified people. So <laughs> That's quite funny. Yeah. Well, uh, we had a obviously it wasn't the black shirts you went in there, but yep. in uh, at Oz One on the second day in 2019 we got completely obliterated by their PMC team, who is the event crew basically, and a couple of locals. Yeah. Um, because Oz one is a domination based game. There's the six flag points and it's a time base, how long you hold each for mm-hmm. the Saturday gameplay, our team, the global coalition, we, uh, we were leading by over eight hours at the end of gameplay on the Saturday. So on the Sunday, of course, to make it fairer, game management put pmc more on the opposing side so mm-hmm. we were fighting both them and pmc most of the day yeah and there was one this one particular time we were holding the flag in the main forest area and we got completely rolled by these pmc guys because they worked like whatever you want to call a yep. well greased machine engine yeah. They just they knew exactly where everyone was. The sniper knew where he was going. He flanked around. I was running an LMG and I was spraying away at these dudes 80 meters away. And I got knocked on the side of the head and I had no idea where it came from. Yeah. Um, and I looked across and Nick, uh, Nick Go is his name. He just gave me this little, you know, pinky and thumb wave as if to say <laughs> it's me. Um, it's also his way of saying it's me. Shut the F up. Do not tell anyone I'm here. I'm playing my role. And of course yeah. I just pulled my dead rag and sat there and watched everyone else in the team get completely mullered. Yeah. Um, now we weren't bad players, but they knew what their guns could do and they knew where they had to be to be effective. Yeah. So it's great to watch. Um, pretty embarrassing. But great to watch. <laughs> yeah, they're where you learn the best lessons, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And unfortunately, I, I doubt Nick will see this, but sell me your bloody rifle. I've been trying <laughs> to buy his silverback SRS and he won't sell it. Yeah. It's one of about three in the country and he won't sell it. So, do you, um, I think I'm nearly out of questions. Have you got any, <laughs> for, have you got any questions for me? Um, where do you see the Milsim soft? whatever you want to call it, seen going in the next 12 months? Um, look, I hope that there is a point in time where we go, look, that's enough of millsofting. Um, yes. The, the community's grown enough and the established <clears throat> mill sim and long-form games are doing their own thing and bringing new players in. Um, managing a pickup squad is my greatest fear. Mm. Um, and for those of you that don't know the term at home, uh, Pickup squads are you get an established player and all the newbies go into it, or and I just don't see Australia being ready for that in twelve months. So yeah, I, I definitely think there's at least yeah. another twelve months of Millsofts coming out of me. It, yep. I'm, I'd like to get another four events out, yep. um, in the next twelve months to allow many more at people to dip point, their toes in. At what point do do we do what in your head is your requirement to go back into the Mill Sim? more deeper, bigger, hardcore, you know, drowning people at the ocean kind of until they freeze to death event. <laughs> um, look, I'll, uh, me and Morkai will sit down and talk about Eastern Predator at that point. Yeah, um, collaborate again. Yeah, yeah. When, when we have got um, 
enough people going to Tempest and not having problems whilst they're playing there and I get less people wanting to come to Mill Softs, that's yes. when I'll look at doing Mill Sims again. Yeah. But uh, so my primary on, on your is... comment there of, of people being more capable of doing the big events, mm -hmm. apart from, you know, obviously ideally getting them to a, if not two or three soft events prior to a bigger sim event, yep. how do we stop people from rocking up to a three-day event where they should know that they're camping in field, that they're carrying everything they need for three days? Yep. How do we stop people from rocking up with 750 mil of water, no tent, no bug spray? for that event unfortunately i've left that on uh jason and matt's table because <laughs> i'm out of here boys it's your problem <laughs> look i, I yeah. tried to deal with it in a dozen <clears throat> different ways when i was the ceo at um ep mm. and, and that was my main frustration was that the community isn't mature enough to have peer pressure on the people around you to go no you shouldn't be going to that one or yeah when you're buying a ticket there needs to be a process and like from the military, it's either training or a barrier test that you do at the start of those sorts of You've events. Got to, to qualify, go, yeah. To qualify, yeah. Um, maybe Millsoft becomes the qualifying event for those guys. They go, all right. If you've been to one of our, and they can run their own Millsofts. I, I don't behold the only person that should be running Millsofts. I think that of course not, no. That Matt but, and yeah. and Jason and anyone else, uh, Luke Farrow, if he wants to get back in and do something, yeah. I don't care the. The Debra guys, the Donnybrook guys, they should absolutely be running Millsofts mm. because that's how we get new players. And that's how we take your day game skirmisher to go to a, say, an eight hour, yep. where you're playing for eight hours of a 12 hour day or 10 hours of a 12 yep. hour day as opposed to three hours of a 10 hour day. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, it's an evolution. It's bridging that gap. Yep. Um, do you think it would be viable for? the gap between Millsoft and Millsim to be, to be able to provide some form of, you know, sleeping containers or something like that, sheds, dongers or something for the players to help them. Cause I, not everyone's got the gear to do a sleep yeah. out as the, well as. The way I see it, Jason at Toowoomba has got the best field to do that mid ground um, with the buildings and villages and, and the stuff that he's got, he is the best spot to do. And, and that's just my personal opinion. He might disagree mm. with me. Others might as well. But, yeah, um, I I don't have access to somewhere where we can go, all right, harbour up or this is a fob or whatever else without yeah. spending 30 grand um, building something at Aratula. Um, yeah. and, and I don't want to be stuck Everyone that knows me knows I don't love playing the, the same game in the same place twice as much yeah. as Aratula is a fantastic spot for right now. Um, it's going to get stale at some point. Like oh, of course. Yeah, you, you, you can't play it at the same, on the same date forever. Um, um, I do have some ideas in that space, but again, I don't think we're in a position that's ready for it until we go, all right, so a team is, say, eight people, and you mm -hmm. get forced to have two pickup guys with you so that you can help them as a section and ticket sales stop a month before the game so that you can guide those pickup players into what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do know that, you know, I'm speaking obviously out of position here, but the guys that run our, our squad, Secret Squirrels, mm -hmm. almost every event we've had, 
you know, a, a random one or two that have obviously booked in and are with us mm. that have become a squirrel from that event. You know, yeah. they're a patched, you know, for what we call a patched member of our team. Mm. Um, they weren't part of the crew before. We didn't know any of them. Mm. Um, so they've been picked up and dragged by the ears, you know, squealing, you know, shaking their head, batting their eyelids, and all of a sudden yeah. they became one of the boys. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's hugely important. Um, are you thinking that's something that the individuals would organize to absorb those people into the teams, or would you do that as part of a booking sequence? If someone's a random that's booking individually or my with two, you slot them in with a known group. Yeah, my thought was yeah. that it, it's part of the ticket process that you know yeah. coming as a squad that you've got two pickups that will get dropped in with you. I did have hopes that the mentor patch would do something, but it became something very different to the plans I had. The, the mentor patch is being discontinued in its current form so that we can get the right language and the right expectations of somebody in the community that a, a random player can see just playing at a field with a certain patch on and they can walk up to them and go, like the patch might just say, ask me about Milsim. And that's somebody in the community yep. that knows roughly what they're talking about and they can um, shepherd or men yeah. coach yeah. Take them under new, the wing. new yeah. players and go, well, this is what a Milsim is. Um, and there's A flavour, B flavour and C flavour in Milsim. Which one do you like? All right, we'll go to X field and do yeah. X event. Yeah. I must say at several events, I've had a fair crack at trying to take someone under my wing, you know, mm -hmm. say, come on, come on, come, come with me, come with me. I need to back up this way. I need you this way. Can you come with me? Yep. And they'll just, you know, turn to you and pull a funky face as if to say, uh, no, bugger <laughs> off. I'm playing over here. I'm not going running over there. Yep. Um, but, you know, that comes down to the individual maybe, um i didn't try hard enough maybe maybe i didn't kind of explain myself a little bit well enough as to yeah. what i was trying to achieve um yeah but maybe they were more experienced than i realized and they were just hanging back for the sake of hanging back maybe they weren't a lost puppy at that time for me the the no knight is a double edge double sword approach to milsim one it takes down the, mm. the gear requirement. You don't have to have been a cadet or a scout or um, done bivy or backpacker camping in that self-contained backpacker long trek style. You don't need those experiences. Yeah. And the extra is, uh, sorry, and food. You don't need to know how to carry and cook food and you're not going to rock up with a loaf of bread and a steak and a, and a hot plate. But it also allows people to mix and mingle around a fire and talk shit um, yeah. and I, I think people underestimate the power of that sitting around a fire talking about how fun this was and people's ability during that to go oh you know what I'd really like how you did that thing what's that called what is that where'd you learn that yeah or your blaster yeah. wow it that was getting me from miles away tell me about who fixes your blaster yeah yeah absolutely my, I guess my only comment on that one would be after PP2, for example, where we camped, same, I guess, in the breaks. When you asked before, did I go and mingle and talk to people in the breaks? I didn't even go and mingle when people talked to randoms I didn't know afterwards because I was buggered and I was making my tea and I was ready to chill. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, if, if 
you guys as the event organizers had that fire and and came over to where we were perched and said bring your chairs come sit at the fire yep. you know we've come and come and sit with us we'll put some sausages on bring your marshmallows or whatever do you want to hear um, a story yes i actually did a live feed at the event and said i need everyone that's here to tell everyone that we've got a bonfire going where the chrono zone was i had a drastic problem <laughs> My phone was absolutely <laughs> flat dead and it was charging at the time. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way I was on Facebook. Because <laughs> I got to that point and went, I don't want to yell at people. I don't want to. But And I did the walk around and I, I dropped in and had a chat to you guys. You were, you were still with us for some time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we talked a bit. Yeah. Um, but I can do that underwater with marbles when I want to. <laughs> Funny enough, my college teacher told me that once yeah. too. You could talk with a mouthful of marbles underwater. Yeah. Didn't really know what he meant at the time, but I understand now because I get verbal diarrhea plenty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we're at the hour 10 mark. Do you reckon we've got more in us or you need to get to bed because you've got to work tomorrow? No, I've still got two hours till I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've got kids, so you'll be up early. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm all right for time. Um, I have a question for you, though. Yep. Not necessarily Milsim at rural properties, but mm-hmm. what's your future for Milsim East um, at Wacol? Um, so, ironically, you said we've got a working bee coming up. We're, we're turning eighth, yeah. Fort Lang from a maze into a building simulator. Right. Um, so okay. for those of you that can remember from the way back machine to uh, 2017 when we first started here at Wacol, mm-hmm. we, we were a panel field village. We set up every Friday and packed up every Sunday. Um, we still have all of those panels. So the plan is to turn Fort Lang into the village in Millsame East in the village. Right. So it okay. will be multiple smaller one, two, three room buildings and a couple of large buildings that have rooms that are dead ends it's not a maze that you can navigate through and have lots of lines of sight it will be much more outdoor cqb yeah okay that's that's really good to hear because i was actually just having a conversation today i won't say names or venues or whatever but yep. a lot of the cqb indoor venues if they they call it cqb in the sense that it's close quarters but generally there's a square box yep with four or five entries to it and then hallways to another square box with four or five entries. Yep. So that's not really a room. That's just a maze, like you said, yep. to go into the next hallway. Yep. So that's good that you've actually got rooms with maybe one entry, maybe two entries or dead ends mm. and stuff because people are going to get boxed in. Look, with the name Milsim in the word Milsim in the name, sorry, um, I, I want to stay Milsim flavoured. I don't, whilst we hold... Uh, the AGBL Nationals here, I don't get involved in the running of that because I want to stay on point to... Your um, flavour. ...to my yeah. flavour. Um, mm. And mm. that's not to say that my flavour is better than others, but you don't no. you don't buy a pizza to eat pineapple. Well, I do. <laughs> no, that, that's, a stab at, <laughs> that's a stab at Nathan Kirby because I know he'll listen and he'll be shitty with you. Oh, him. no, I, lo- I love pineapple on pizza. Yeah, so um, but, yeah, I completely agree. Um yeah, keep your focus on your preference and yep. let people, other people focus on their preference. And yeah. now that we've got those inflatable buildings, I can blow them yeah. up anywhere and people can play that maze, go through it game and have something different every time they do that on a Friday night. Yeah. And then Saturday and Sunday, they can go and remember who Mark Lang was and kick ass in Fort Lang. Um, yeah. 
and, yeah. and do what they want to do down there. Yeah, very cool. Very, very cool. We've been trying to get up to Wacol recently. For but months, yeah. Again, it just stars just don't align. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll get there eventually. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we'll actually start planning more than a month of ahead eventually too. Yep. We're yep. always so reactive because we've got so much on our plates. Do you have anything in the works after PB2 as of yet? Uh, sorry, PB3. Um, I've got about three things that I've got in the works. Um, one is a town um, that we have access to with about 12 buildings and paraphernalia around it. The, the people that have been around me long, like Sven, he knows mm-hmm. about that town. We've been talking about it that long. Is this the other one that's out towards Aratula Way? Uh, no, it's about four yeah. hours. Okay. Um, yep. I'm also looking at doing a far western Queensland event Ooh. Um, because my my jobs previous to this, I was an overland tour leader. Um, mm-hmm. So places like the Canning Stock Route and Cape York were my bread and butter. Um, so I've got a lot of lot of contacts that have got square kilometres, not square yeah. acres. Yeah. And I think it would be interesting to do a mobile vehicle operation on one of those properties that's got kilometres and kilometres to cover and it will make people think much more strategically than instantly tactically about how they operate to stay away from or find the people in square kilometres of bush. Yes, absolutely, yeah. I don't think we're ready for that yet, Um, but that's something I've got boiling away in the background. I'd say there is certainly a portion of people that are ready for Mm. it. Um, but obviously you don't want to run an event for 30 people. It needs to be decent numbers to make it viable. Yeah. Look, EP 1.5, that was an invite-only event, um, and we learned some lessons there about A, invite-only, and B, testing new concepts at an event where people pay for them. So, Mm. um, yeah. Look, there's lots of options out there. Um, I've been talking to a few developers that I've – because um, the other thing that I do right now is mowing and slashing with my tractor. Yeah. Um, hence the name, funny enough. <laughs> um, so I've got some contracts with developers doing the mowing and slashing on their properties where they're either going to demolish or they're going to redevelop a building. And I've been working on those guys for nearly two years to go, <laughs> right, that's the, the building that you've bought and you're waiting for planning permission on. How about... I throw you some dollars and you let a bunch of people raise some money while having fun. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and some of those are within minutes of a train station on the CBD network. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So I've got how high many insurances go with that. Uh, I've already crossed all those lines. It, I'm at nice. that. I just need the permission from the owner of the property stage. Yep. And I've been talking to them for over 18 months about it. Oh, that's a lot of excitement. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah, great. That's that's the kind of thing I definitely think um, would be a huge, a huge catalyst to more growth for the sport is yep. different. You know, there's the only venues so far really have been indoor small venues and outdoor fairly big venues. Yeah. But the indoor venues are completely purpose man-made. Yeah. The... Outdoor venues, obviously, are very, but there hasn't really been, say, not a high-rise, but a, a multi-level building or an office building or, you know, yep. as cool as a disused hospital or something like that yep. to actually 
feel like you're in White House Down or something like that, you know, and actually yeah. be a, a role, play that role. Mm. So that would be very cool. And that's some of the very cool stories that Iggy does talk of, of ex-military bases, playing in oh. hangars, playing in underground bunkers and buildings, my, hospitals. My dream game is a disused missile silo. Like Iggy's 11, done it. 11 stories and, oh, wouldn't that yeah. be amazeballs? You definitely, if you get Iggy on a podcast, yeah. make sure you've got a beer or a cup of tea and sit back and just let his stories <laughs> roll because I, I've i been, as I said before, attached to the hit with him for three and a half years and I haven't even heard any of the cool stories yet. And yeah. we, we're in the car for hours at a time together, you know, driving out to all the way back, sorry, from Aratula. Yeah. I didn't really say a word because he was just reeling off memories of such and such. Um, mm. It does help, obviously, that he's also a 15-year uh, British military veteran as yeah. well. So he's done a lot of cool stuff that I didn't join the British Air Force when I wasn't listing at 17. Yeah. I came back to Australia instead. Yeah. And um, obviously life, life would be very different now. But his role as a military photographer had him hanging out of helicopters and yeah. doing a lot of cool stuff that I've never even been in the wash of one, never mind in one. Yeah. So It's funny. One of the reasons I've changed tidy from a very behind the scenes wholesale focused company to to having a retail presence is because i need that to fund the the, the plans i've got for the future of gel ball yeah um so yeah it and, and the way to do that is in the retail space there's more margin in retail than there'll ever be in wholesale yeah um, and i got yeah. and there's more customers too yeah and i it, it's <laughs> it's much harder to stay behind the scenes in part of your life when you're right in front of the camera in the other part of your life. So yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. That. Yeah, that's good. But it's um, anything that anyone can do to grow the sport. And that's one of the reasons why we did TSI as well as mm. we wanted to try and show as much as we could to promote. And, you know, probably 90% of our content at least is gel ball because yeah. we, we haven't been able to get airsoft in a year and I don't shoot, the, the big guns that much anymore mm. so we are kind of just a gel ball blog but having said that we're pretty much the only one here's a question um there was another guy um doing something similar and he came to flashpoint one I, his name i'm having a brain fart i can't i'll remember v it after this vague strategist no 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 he, he wasn't a gel he was a guy that just did a gel ball um online magazine as well okay um, his name totally escapes me right now. I can picture his face. I remember <laughs> the car he drove in. That guy. Um, that guy. That's all right. Um, you were going to say something else just then. Three Gun. Yeah. Have you ever thought of um, coming to one of our Three Gun events? Yeah, definitely. Um, I. Do you use the shotguns in it as well? Yeah. 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 Most definitely. Um, I've also been talking with the guys at Crossfire about their, they're doing one as well, very similar and mm -hmm. very, very exciting to um, just to do something different again. Mm. Um, the funny thing is, is I don't know if you were, when Azrael's first opened a year ago, I ran indoor gel blaster competition, IGBC yep. there. And in what now is the warehouse space of Azrael's because yep. they outgrew yeah. the allocated space in about four months. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we ran, I ran the IGBC, which was basically just IPSC air, but we didn't yep. have targeted 
uh, sorry, it's point zones on the target. It was just basically hit, miss, and time. Yeah, um, we've we've been very similar. It's time on targets. You either hit or you don't hit, or you yeah. you re-hit a target that you've missed. Yes, yeah. Um, so we did a little bit of two gun. We didn't necessarily do it with shotguns at the time because the gas shotguns hadn't come yet. Yeah. Um, and we didn't do it with the springers. Um, yep. but we we actually did do mostly just rifle or pistol. Yeah. But in in for fun, I was transitioning between my rifle blaster and my pistol. And um, but I've got to say now that the WeTech and these other brands of higher end, um, not necessarily better pistols than the first, you know, the P1s and the APS lines, but yeah. they eat any gel you put in them, which yeah. makes it a lot easier to operate. And the, the WeTech uh, high cappers and the Glocks, they run, say, for example, Alpha King gels perfectly. Mm. Whereas a year ago, we were having to tune maglips all the time for them to feed. Yep. Um, so I do think the competition-based one, two, and three gun stuff is going to be so much easier now mm. that the, the pistols and things work better. Yep. Um, so, yeah, um, I think it's that will grow. And now that we've got good high cappers and everything out there as well between all the different brands that are out there, yep. 2011s, if you want to call it a high capper, I, I don't call it that because to me they're a 2011. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, yeah. That, that side of the sport, I think, can grow like IPSC Air is huge. Yep. Um, funnily enough, I met Iggy through a guy who does IPSC Air. He not far, not long ago won a match in Europe somewhere, which was pretty cool. Nice. Um, I think their airsoft pistols cost more than my Real nine pistol. millimeter competition guns. Yeah. <laughs> so big money, but they seem to get good performance out of them. Yeah, I'd like to see um, a three-gun event stand beside a speedball event. I think the two can sit in the same space and do something similar. Um, yeah. It's just getting people to understand the third gun in that. With the shotgun? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, like anything, the infancy of anyone using something, it's it's a new skill to learn. The good thing about the gel side of things is that you don't have the risk factor of the real three gun where mm. yeah. um, they don't normally reholster a pistol, for example, or they don't yep. normally sling a rifle. It's... It's cleared and put it's on the, the table bucket. or put in the barrel. Yeah. Um, so we've got the benefit of you can make someone holster something or apply a safety and sling a rifle. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the manual skills of, say, quad loading a shotgun or something like that is going to take a lot to learn. Yeah. Um, but great fun. And if you did it as a friendly competition like we did IGBC as opposed to uh, people trying to win sheep stations, you'll yeah. certainly get people learn and improve um, in the two or three months we ran IGBC, guys went from obviously the course layout changed, but so taking a minute to the course layout to 15 seconds. Yeah. Um, really, really, really progressed quickly and um, to the point where I didn't really even have to do, you know, an example run to show them which way I'd run around the course just yep. through my IPSC experience. They learned it real quick. Yeah. Um, the one thing I'm, I would like to add on that though and mm -hmm. this was a real i was a real stickler for this for igbc is um for people that don't yet but do want to get into some form of firearm shooting so let's use ipsc as the example um please use your gel blaster pistols in the same sense as if it's a real firearm yeah because if you do go to a gun club 
and you pull out your pistol as if it's a gel blaster, you will get kicked out on the spot yeah. immediately and probably banned from coming. Yeah. So when I ran IGBC, I said to the boys that came every every evening on the briefing, do you want me to be a stickler as if I'm a range officer at the gun club, or do you want me to just be here with gel blaster toys? Mm. And they always said, operate it like it's a gun club, yeah. because several of them wanted to get their pistol license, so they wanted to be versed in... Treat good, every treat every gun as if it's alarm. Treat every target as if you're going to destroy it. Never shoot anything you want to don't want to destroy. And always know what's behind your target. Yep. You've got to know your four gun rules. Um, so I definitely would like to see that practiced. Yeah. But a lot of people will balk at it. Yeah. You know, why are you being such a dick about safety when it's they're gel blasters? Yeah. It's a little because I'm a gun person. I'm a, I'm a firearms instructor, and you you don't want to risk anything. The most important, the only important thing at IPSC is safety. Mm. It doesn't matter. And the funny thing is, is IPSC is well, any any pistol sport is one of the safest sports you can do in Australia. Mm. You're well, very unlikely to break ribs or get your nose broken or get stomped on by rugby boots. Yeah. Or get kicked in the face with a football. <laughs> yeah. Well, IPSC still doesn't do horseshoe target ranges and stuff, so it it makes it hard to do anything super dangerous. Yes. Yeah. Um, one thing that I do, I am very excited about and a little bit like getting to some gel ball events as I haven't yet got to is the practical rifle competitions um, called PRS, practical rifle series or sports, whatever abbreviation you want to use. It's basically like IPSC or two gun, three gun, but with a bolt action rifle. Yep. And you could be shooting a 22 up to a, I don't know, 300 wind mag or something <laughs> you could be shooting from 10 meters to a thousand meters yeah um so it's it's in its infancy a little bit like gel ball is in australia but we're very lucky because out near dolby there's a new range called dunmore range opening early next year mm-hmm. and for anyone that is into big rifles um start buying bigger rifles because we're going <laughs> to get to start shooting further so um, i can finally drag my 300 wind mag out and actually use it somewhere you can, and you, and in time, and it's not, oh, shit, I don't know if it's common knowledge yet, but you will be able to shoot three times further than you generally can yet in Queensland. Mm. Um, I don't want to say too much because I don't know if it's common knowledge. But you, You're telling yeah, me to go and buy a 6.5 Creedmoor, aren't you? Uh, I'm also telling you to go <laughs> and buy a, a 375 Shytac so you can do two miles. Oh. <laughs> but uh, yes, I've, I've um, stopped spending money on guns a long time ago. I don't yeah, need to do it again. But it's like gel, like gel balls growing. Yeah. Um, precision rifles going to go through the roof as well now that people can go somewhere. It's so. it's funny. I used to because um, I came from a military background and then I went into um, aerial shooting stuff. Mm-hmm. When I would go to the range at the double SAA, I, I just felt so out of place um, mm. shooting yeah. from a very comfortable sled position on the oh, on the bench was and just so foreign to me when i go to a rifle range i don't shoot off a bench i lay on the floor yeah um because if i'm going to a mate's property and shooting there is no benches i'm mm-hmm. laying on the floor um unfortunately sometimes you have to shoot off the bench um but there's been so many regulations thrown in that some of these gun clubs recently you can't take your 300 wind mag to a lot of ranges anymore no. they've They've shortened, the, you know, yep. the power ability of the gun, um, mm. which I've got a 300 wind mag as well, and it hasn't been shot in two years. Yep. Um, that one I want to rechamber in. You said it before, 6.5 Creedmoor. Yep. 
<laughs> we're probably getting past yeah. the, the average gel blaster's ability to understand what the hell we're talking about at this point. We're, we're surpassing by about, yeah, 1,200 <laughs> metres or so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but, yeah, if anyone wants to read about long-range rifle stuff, there is um, a fair bit in back issues of TSI as well and yeah. on the blog. Do you think there's any legs in the Americans taken on 6.8? At 6.8 SPC mm. for the AR platform. Well, for a squad-based uh, weapon, yeah. Um, yeah. Although the funny thing is, is prior to them looking at taking it on now, the 6.8 SPC was a bit of a flop of a caliber. Um, I don't really understand why it's now looking at military contract because mm. it didn't ex- it didn't meet what they required of it about five or six years ago. Mm. Um, so the beauty of it is that it, it is a good self-chambering caliber for semi-automatic, whereas something like 6.5 Creedmoor isn't. Mm. It doesn't load very well on a semi-automatic platform, like a 300 Win Mag doesn't either. Mm. Um, whereas a 2.2.3, or sorry, 5.5.6, or the 308s, they chamber quite well. Mm. Um, what about a, a 300 blackout with a really fast powder? Uh, why not just run 7.62 by 39? <laughs> it's the same thing. Because they love their AR and they can't adopt something that won't fit in that. CMG mutant. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I'm going to watch the podcast analytics just take a dive now. Everyone's like, what the fuck? We're talking real guns, people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the 6.8, it'll definitely take over from 5.56 and they probably won't even use 308 anymore. That'll They'll be probably be 6, day, 6.5, yeah. 6.8 SBC and 6.5 Creedmoor will probably be the main calibers. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, I went through the phase where 2.2.3 was it and a bit in the military and we were trying to push it out to 600 at times in a style, um yes. just to see if we could. Yeah. Um, and... I, I remember mounting up, getting ready for East Timor in 99 and people, I, well, then I was in the quartermaster store as a storm and I'd, I'd core transferred for my second time then and I was a digger yet again and people were coming to the armoury going, we, we want a 7.62, can we get an SLR, can we get a MAG-58 instead of the yep. shit that we've got because everyone knew that we'd been in a playtime army for, for 10 years except for Rwanda and Somalia there wasn't a big exposure to, all right, we really need to reach out and protect ourselves sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, the funny thing is, is like anything, bullet uh, design and capability is always improving. Mm. Um, so the 223, 556 is incredibly damaging, but it's just so wind affected. Mm. It's, it's a skinny pencil that gets knocked around by the wind. Um, but 308 is even worse. 308's a short, fat sledgehammer, um, which it's it's a dinosaur now. The, the development of 308 stopped 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think 6.8 and 6.5 will take over. Um, 6.8 isn't really exactly a mainstream cartridge as far as sporting shooters, but mm-hmm. 6.5 Creedmoor has definitely got the legs of a very fast horse at the moment because it's, taking over a lot of things it was funny i remember a lot of resistance for 300 win mag um for a, a sas style semi-automatic sniper system yeah um people didn't want it because 
it was such a big belting cartridge that was shooting flat and fast compared to yep. 762. Yep. Oh, oh, it's such a waste having all that powder burning behind it. Um, Why? The report and the recoil is too high. Um, yeah, because they, they couldn't get past hard, the, the ballistic profile of seven six two. Is what they had when they looked at that pill. They went, "That's a three hundred eight pill. It's going to do the same thing." They didn't understand the ballistics. But the good thing about a three hundred is it doesn't have to be a three hundred eight pill. It can be a longer mm. version of it, which yeah. uh, we're going to blow Ch- people's minds now. Changes the BC quite significantly, unbelievably. So yeah. it takes a three hundred eight from hitting a brick wall at seven hundred and fifty meters to the three hundred can do thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred. Not a problem, but you're going to like a 220 grand projector, not a 167 or 168. So, yeah. um, I, I don't think I've ever shot under anything under a 180 in my 300. I think mine that's the smallest shoots, I've ever put in it. Mine shoots 150s beautifully, or yeah. the 220 grain ELDXs amazingly. Yeah. Um, the difference in price is about double. Yeah. <laughs> so not cheap um the only reason i'd go to a lighter weights for something like a barnes triple shock or something of that nature in a 300 or going yeah. just like for a 300 yeah definitely uh, as a hunting cartridge but yeah. not much good for long range accuracy they lose no. stability the cut the projectile's too short mm. um, but that's where your pencil thin 6.5 creedmoor or 6.5 spc and all those ones come in in that it's a long, skinny projectile going very, very fast. Mm. So it's like being smacked by a needle versus a, a sledgehammer. Yeah. The needle's going to penetrate. The sledgehammer's going to bounce off at slow speed. Mm. So, yeah. But gel balls, a <laughs> 7.4 caliber. Well, do, do you remember when there was 6 mil all the way to 13 mil gel balls? I do. I didn't, I didn't ever have a big one. I definitely had a 6 mil. I had a 6 mil manual Glock. Right. So um, next time you come out here, I recently got back, um, and a lot of people don't remember, that before Peter Clark's container was seized, I had one seized. Yes. And yeah. that was returned to me this year. Yes, I do remember seeing so that. I, so I have got a lot of, of that historic stuff. I gave a bunch of stuff to Vass and, and Rowan and a few other guys. said, look, we, we want one of each of these to put on the wall yeah. to tell people that's where we came from. Dinosaurs, the historics, yeah, exactly, most definitely. And I've still got a bunch of those white Runqui P90s that fired 30 mil gels. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so if you if you want to take a throwback to somebody that wants to complain about the ballistics of what we've got now, put one of them in there. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Happy yeah. to give you one just so you can go, mm, try this. Try put the FPS up behind one of those and yep. it'll just come out like confetti. Yeah. That'd be quite hilarious. I remember we, we did an event up here called Last Train to Musoria where we set up a train simulation and I took one of the green and blue pump action like slide Desert Eagle things that we had yep. and it shot a 30 mil gel ball or a Nerf dart. And, yes. And I, yep. I shot Lachlan McGee uh, who works at, for Johnny Wang in the back at two metres and he didn't know I'd shot him. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be hit by a feather. Yeah. And I said, cool hits, bro. <laughs> Yeah. 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 That's one of my favourite war stories. Yes. Well, it would be. Yeah. Mm. Shoot someone with a basically a 50 cal and they didn't know you did it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Good stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that's it for me. Sure. No dramas. I'm I'm sat here all of a sudden. My dog started. She brought her ball over. She obviously wants to play before Uh, bedtime. So I'm being beckoned, I think. Yeah. (laughs) 
All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on. You're welcome to come back anytime you want. Just reach out uh, and feel free to bring a friend. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. What well, maybe we should try and get, um, as you said, get get Iggy on here or Yoan yep. as Lone as people call him because <laughs> his name is I O A N, yeah. but it looks like L O A N. So it's it's Yoan. Yep. Um, or Iggy as we know him. Yep. Um, but the other thing I think would be a pretty cool idea is get a couple of the secret squirrels all on together. Look, I've, I'm in the boardroom here at Wounded Heroes, and we've certainly had Sven and a couple of the guys in here when we were talking about the rule sets for uh, Parabellum, uh, not Parabellum, EP2. So, yep, yep. Um, yeah, if you guys want to come and spend the night and sit around the fire and have two I'm cans sh- of Cokes, we can make some arrangements. I'm sure, without putting words in their mouth, several of the boys would love to come. Yep. And we'll do a Mills off the next day or the day after or the day before or something. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on. I'm going to do something strange and I'm going to drop an ad for my playout because I've got to get some money in the Patreons. Do Um, it. And for those people at home, I also run a second podcast about veterans welfare and stuff. It's pretty new. We're on the third episode now, so you can find me in all the podcatching places. There's about 30 different places you can find me now. So <laughs> yep. if you're interested in veterans transitioning and how that all works, I've got some great people lined up. I've got a lieutenant general. I've got several lieutenant colonels and a few others that are going to speak for the first time about their transition Wonderful. out of defence. So that should be very interesting. Most definitely, yeah. That would be good listening for sure. All right. Well, here we go. Here's the ad. Good stuff. Thanks for listening to the Milsim Podcast. We're not sponsored directly by any business. So how does it exist? Because of a dedicated group of people who send me money on Patreon. Patreon is a way for me to pay for the cost of hosting and sharing this podcast on the internet and upgrading equipment as required. And you can get some perks if you're in Patreon. A few people pay a significant amount, but I'd like a bunch of people who like what we do to just pay $1 a month, as they really help me with the algorithms. I do shout out events and retailers, but they are all things I'm directly involved in running myself, or the events or products I want to support in the community. You also won't be here running anyone down directly, but I will give feedback I think is constructive. You can also support me once off via PayPal if you don't like Patreon, or you can send me mail or products to review via Wounded Heroes at PO Box 73, Ellen Grove 4078 in Queensland. But please be aware I can't return review products unless you include full return postage. I thank you in advance for your anticipated support and I hope you're enjoying our podcast.